All right. Hey, for those of the rest of you guys, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn it to the book of Luke in chapter 5. If you have a phone, you can type in Luke 5 Bible, and it'll work like that. Oh, you guys, in so many ways, this week is such an anomaly. <laughs> it's just such a weird time. Um, I shared in the little preview video that I did that um, January was is easily like the craziest, most upside down month I personally have had on record in a while. Um, just I think in terms of my expectations, what I thought January was going to be um, and what wound up happening instead. Um, I felt off balance, and I know that's true for a lot of us. Um, and it's from that kind of off balance place that I felt like God really started to speak into me this last week and uh, brought me back to a teaching we actually did a couple years ago. Um, interestingly enough, at the beginning of COVID, uh, which is to me fascinating. Um, but it's just been crazy this last couple weeks. I think we had like 60% of our 180 staff come down with COVID and then have to quarantine in some way, shape, or form. We had a whole bunch of our, our, uh, our, our KC Praxis lead team come down with COVID and have to quarantine in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I just was going back, and as the pandemic was starting, we did this series of teachings to kind of ask, God, how are we going to respond, right? What are we going to do? How are we going to live your life in, in this time of pandemic? Um, and as I was reading it, I was just kind of blown away at some of the things that we were sharing back then and how they kind of apply maybe even more now. Um, because I think all of us kind of feel like the pandemic, um, or at least the pandemic way of life, is hopefully starting to change. Do you guys sense that? Like, hopefully we're, even though we've had so much of it the last month, it feels like, yeah, me too. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's unfortunately not, but I think we're hoping that things will change. I think we're hoping that we get back to some sense of normalcy. Um, and I think because I don't believe in jinxing things, I'm just going to say it. Hopefully we're near the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and if it's true, if we're near the end of at least a lot of this stuff, if we're looking forward or there's light at the end of the tunnel, um, I want to ask some questions about how we enter a new season. Like, how do we live now? How do we live uh, in the new world as we're, that we're coming into? And I think over the course of the past couple of years, like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, I can't wait to get back to normal. Um, have you guys heard this? Like, I can't wait to go back. I can't wait to get back to normal. I just want to, the impulse is to get back to life the way we were doing it before. Um, and I wonder if, as followers of Jesus, whether that's actually a helpful way of looking at things or not. Um, of getting back to some idyllic past where things were the way we wanted them to be. And so I just want to go back to this, Luke 5, and I want to invite you. Jesus is sitting at a dinner table, um, and he's having a conversation with some people. This is Luke 5, 37. He's in mixed company, very different people from very different backgrounds, really kind of two groups of people are at this table, and they're enjoying some wine. Um, and I just envision Jesus kind of swirling the wine around in his cup, and he comes up with this metaphor, this analogy. This is Luke 5, 37. It says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be skilled, spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. New wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. 
And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is good enough. The old is good enough. You guys with me? Okay. (laughs) Think about that statement, okay? The old is good enough. I'm good with the way things used to be, right? Um, around these parts, we know a little bit about wine. Right across the street here, we have a, uh, it's a, it's a winery. Um, they, they have an estate crush over there, and they do all sorts of small batch wine. Um, and I've had a t- chance to take a peek inside there from time to time. And usually, when they open up the, around this time of year in the fall, when they open up the door, there's like a giant purple mess on the ground because things are just exploding. There's a lot going on uh, this time of year. Um, fermentation is a dynamic process, right? It interacts with the yeast, interacts with sugar, and it releases gas, and things expand, and they roil. And Jesus' metaphor here, then, is actually a really simple one. In the ancient world, their fermentation vessels weren't barrels or tanks. They were wineskins, sewn animal hides. And new wineskins were capable of movement. They're capable of expanding and contracting with the gas. Um, They're fresh, right? They're capable of moving with new wine. And old wineskins are more rigid. They harden over time meaning that the old wineskin can't contain new wine. It will explode. Um, You've probably, if you've hung around a church, you've heard this metaphor taught on before. Um, So he's using this to talk about what's happening in the world. He's saying, in essence, something brand new is happening. As a matter of fact, it's so new, so radical, that your old categories won't be able to contain it. He says, I'm doing something brand new, and you're going to have to think differently in order to understand it. And if you don't, if you keep your old categories, your old way of understanding or, or thinking about religion or God or what's possible, it's not going to work, right? It's not going to work. Your old categories, your old way of thinking. Uh, a little background here. Leading up to this meal uh, in the chapter and a half, if you were to look back in chapter five, uh, Jesus has been doing all sorts of things that's, that, are, that have been messing with people's categories. He gets up and preaches in the synagogues, okay, which is fine. That's what a rabbi is supposed to do, right? Kind of like a pastor is supposed to get up in church and preach. Um, but then he would go directly outside and he would heal someone who had a demon, or he would heal someone who is sick. At one point, he goes to a man who has leprosy and he touches him. Uh, Jewish people had strict religious purity rules, right? Kind of like quarantine rules for people with leprosy. So if you go and touch a person with leprosy, that's going to blow everybody's categories out of the water. And Jesus touches this man. He calls followers, disciples, which is fine. Again, that's what rabbis do. Uh, But he doesn't call normal disciples. He calls fishermen, young men who had actually washed out of rabbi school, right? They weren't qualified in any way to train with a rabbi. Even worse, he calls a tax collector. This is just in the last few uh, uh, verses leading up to where Jesus is sitting at this table. He calls a tax collector, and he's actually sitting at this tax collector's table. Uh, If you know anything about first century Israel, you know that the Jewish people were suffering under brutal occupation, right, at the hands of Rome. Thousands upon thousands of Jewish people had died because of the Romans, and these taxes that they levied upon them were designed specifically to keep them in abject poverty, to keep people down. So when Jesus calls Levi, Levi is a Jewish name, tax collecting is a Roman career, which means he's a sellout, right? He's the worst kind of traitor. So Jesus calls him and says, you come and follow me, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to come eat dinner in your house. The religious leaders are appalled at all of this, right? Right? Notice Luke 5.30 in your Bibles. 
It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to the disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It's also loaded with, why are you calling these people? Why are you touching these people? Why are you now sitting here with these people and eating with them? Why are you doing what you're doing, Jesus? We have a way of doing things. We have rules about all this stuff, okay? Now, <laughs> what on earth is Jake getting at here? I want you guys to think about this, okay? Throughout human history, the way the natural world works, okay, we went over this two years ago, you might remember, okay? It was right at the beginning of a pandemic. Throughout human history, the way the natural world works is that if an infected person comes into contact with a healthy person, what happens to the healthy person? You get infected, yeah, you get sick. <laughs> right? Uh, that's why we quarantine from each other. That, that, that's why we have all these rules, right? An infected person comes into contact with a healthy person. The healthy person gets sick. Another way you could say it is the unclean makes the clean unclean, okay? Unclean makes the clean unclean. That's a rule. It's a rule right now that we're all painfully familiar with, right? If I walk into a room with a bunch of people with COVID and I stay there for 15 more minutes at a range of less than six feet or whatever it is, right, I will need to quarantine myself, Okay, and there's, whatever you think about it, the principle behind it is sound because that's just the way biology works, okay? And so throughout all of human history, you guys, and this is what gets, starts to get important, this is the way religion works as well, okay? Or this is the way religion has worked throughout history. It's based on these rules that say if you become clean, you need to stay clean. The entire Jewish construct in the first century, especially for these religious leaders that are mad about all this, is built on the idea is if we, if we can just keep ourselves clean enough, right? If we can just keep ourselves pure enough and untouched by the pagan people that are out there in the world, right? The sinful people, then God will accept us, right? If we can just do the right things and become clean, then I will be good enough to be in the presence of God. Now, I would argue that works its way right up into our time, our day and age, right? Why on a Sunday morning, if you're Sunday morning church people, do we get dressed up nicer, right? And you start to think about the way things happen, Okay? This is not just a 2,000 years ago thing, okay? Uh, we probably have run into this somewhere along the line if we're Christians, if we're followers of Jesus, uh, if we have some sort of religion in our background where religion became a wall that divided the holy from the unholy, the clean from the unclean, the good stuff in our church and the bad stuff that's going on out there, the world. You guys following me now? Like the things that are happening in here this is where we're growing. This is where we're discipling. This is where we're getting clean as opposed to the things that are happening out there that we need to protect ourselves from. You guys catching that? Um, and so the whole deal, again, is to stay clean. And it may not have been intentional that our churches became like this or religion became like this, but all of a sudden, we will find ourselves spending our time, more and more time and more and more energy and more and more of our friendship and relational energy around other people like me, other religious people, other Christian people, Okay? There's a separation that naturally happens. We're going to come back to that. So when Jesus does these things and he invites the other to dinner, okay, or he goes to the other's house for dinner, when he touches the infected person and that infected person is actually healed, okay, he is introducing a brand new reality that breaks all of the rules, right? Not just the religious rules, but kind of like also the biological rules of the way the world works, He's introducing something unknown to the history of nature and religion because in Jesus, the unclean comes in contact with the clean and the unclean becomes clean. 
right? In Jesus, the healthy person touches the sick person, and the sick person gets healed. Jesus invites the enemy in, and the enemy becomes a friend. He's no longer an enemy. You guys can see where the whole thing gets turned upside down and how different this is, okay? How different it is even from the way we practice religion today. Most religion in this world is built on the idea that if we just become clean enough, if we just do enough, learn enough, meditate enough, go to enough Bible studies, study enough, then we will be more fit so that we will understand more, so that we can be more in, part of the in crowd, right? But Jesus isn't that. You can see it clearly here. He's not just another religious leader describing for us how we can be a good person who is fit to be around God. Jesus makes us fit. It all comes from him. He invites us in. He reaches into the dark spaces of our hearts and light comes in and we become clean. He does it, right? And there is nothing, no darkness, no sickness, no past mistakes or broken relationships, there is nothing that can stop him from doing that if you invite him to do it. The clean touches the unclean and the unclean becomes clean in Jesus. This is why if we understand this, Christianity has the potential to turn the world on its head. Because in its purest and most undiluted form, Christianity, our DNA, as followers of Jesus, is to do the opposite of what religion does. Our heritage is not of a Jesus who separated himself from the world, but of a Jesus who engages with its deepest and most corrupt places, right? The most sinful, the most other, and he goes there and he loves them. He brings his hope there, right? And so our heritage as Christians is not to build buildings where we can go and spend all our time sticking together with the people that are most like us who are already clean. You guys starting to, like, are we starting to preach yet? Okay? That's not what we're supposed to do. It's not to, it's not to do that. It's to draw close to those who are other from us. Which means... If our faith, if we live out our faith separate from the world, if we go to church and that's where our faith happens and it becomes the only place our faith happens, it's not the real thing, right? It's the same old wineskin and it's just religion. It's the same old category. Is that starting to make sense to you guys? The problem with religion is that it's fragile. It's a whole paradigm that's never sure it's good enough, never quite knows that it's made it, right? It's always trying to avoid being too exposed. There's this deep-seated insecurity, right? So it has to stay away from the unclean. It has to protect itself. It has to keep back from the darkness that's in, that's in this world. Religion draws this line and says, this is the boundary. On this side of the boundary, you're in. On that side of the boundary, you're out, okay? It's safe in here. It's dangerous out there because we're insecure. And if you're insecure, that's religion, so we have to keep the people on this side clean and safe. And so religion stays to itself. It closes the door of its garage on the way into its house, sets the alarm, doesn't interact, okay? Religion is terrified of change. It tries to maintain order. It stands up tradition as uh, the arbitrator of what we will and won't do because it's fragile and fearful and insecure. Hopefully you're starting to understand the thing that I want us to be doing here is not religion, Okay? The kingdom of God, where religion is about a fragile holiness, right? The kingdom that Jesus brings into this world introduces something durable, something that lasts. Because when Jesus says, you become clean in me and not because of anything else, 
when he says, it's my love and only my love that makes you clean. You did nothing to earn it. You can't do anything to make it any better than it already is. Right? You can do nothing then to unearn it or change it or shift it because God did it. Okay? Jesus touched us and made us clean, and we recognize that there's nothing out there in this world that can undo that, which is the essence of the gospel, right? He comes into us, he makes us clean. But this is why the true followers of Jesus are some of the most unfearful, fearless people you will ever meet. Their posture toward the world is one of openness and engagement. They're afraid of nothing. Not, there's no fear, there's no suspicion. They move out into the world no matter what category they come from with the same confidence that Jesus has. They don't need to say safe because actually they believe that God's grace and his love is infectious. And so in his kingdom, the doors are open, the walls are non-existent. Kingdom people have this unshakable confidence that their king's love and grace will transform the world wherever it goes. And so they're constantly expanding. One of the things you see in the New Testament, which is so frustrating to me, is you see this scattering impulse. There is no gathering happening in the New Testament. They come together and then they get scattered and they go out, right? From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, there's this outward pull. When did religion become about gathering again and only gathering? The kingdom of God has always been about scattering, about expansion, because there's no fear. Our infection is a good infection, and it will change the world, but it can only do that as it's pushing out. Is that making sense? It will redeem people we thought were beyond help. It will take stories we thought were over and begin writing new chapters on pages that we didn't even know were there, which means there's nothing on this earth to be afraid of. It means tomorrow is a brand new day full of all sorts of possibilities, dangerous and thrilling and loaded with potential. Because that's what Jesus is saying when he talks about new wine and wineskins. He's basically asking them, are your containers, are they made to handle the way I'm going to move and work in this world? If not, get a new container. Figure it out. Because I'm fixing to transform the world here. For you and I, I want... And the impulse of kingdom community, this little gathering that we have, is to be asking the same kinds of questions, okay? So it comes down to if we're at the end of a pandemic, somewhere near the end or a change, right? If we're beginning, we're entering a new day, are we entering that day equipped with an understanding of God that will allow for him to do something new? Are we satisfied with the way life was before the pandemic and we want to go back, so you start to think about, what, how was I living? What was I doing? Was I, was I satisfied with the kind of faith I had before? Right? Was I satisfied with the experience of God that I was having before? Was it good? Or could there be more? Get a new container, right? New wineskins. At the beginning of this evening, we talked about that phrase, right? Man, I just wish we could go back to normal. I just wish we could go back. I can't wait to go back. And I would simply challenge that tonight. Do you really want to go back? Right? Do you want to just pick up the old container and assume that Jesus still wants to fit inside that box? Things have happened to all of us. We have all come through enormous trauma the last couple of years. Some of it related to the pandemic. Some of it related to all sorts of other stuff. It has nothing to do with that. Right? And is our understanding of Jesus that that's actually a good thing? That there's always something new. There's new wine. There's something new to be poured out. Something new to gain in this. 
For some of us, uh, that will mean getting a little more fearless and bold. Ali, come on up here. We're just going to have a little conversation. Uh, for some of us, it will mean going, getting further out, doing more, going where Jesus is at work. For others, it will mean actually living, we were, before, we were living lives that were completely out of control. Before the pandemic, I was going way too fast and I need to pull back. God's asking me to focus on some narrow things here, right? Uh, there are things that are totally unhelpful that I was doing before that I need to let go of, right? So for some, it's more. For some, it's less, but there has to be a question, and this can be an opportunity. Am I going to grow my vessel? Am I going to get a new container, something new to fit God in? And you guys, this is a part of the reason we started this little community is because we believe that there was room for sacred experiments in the kingdom of God, that the old container, the way church is done in North America, beautiful, right? Old wineskins are good. They, they held wine in a beautiful way. Old wine is really good to drink. That's why Jesus says, some people say, I, I love the old and I want to go back. But there's this belief that without experiments, without trying out some new things, sewing some new containers, new wineskins, nothing new will happen. And so this whole thing is just an experiment, right? It might eventually fail. Actually, it can't because here in Debbie Talk, so many beautiful things that have happened so far that it can't possibly be a failure, right? But that's the whole thing. That's the whole deal. We never could have known that launching this church um, we would be launching it right into the middle of a global pandemic when we started, you know? One of the cool things, just experiences that I've had, and then we'll kind of talk about ours, is I have an opportunity to hang out with a lot of pastors. I'm a part of a denomination. And these pastors, by and large, are coming from legacy churches, churches that are established and they've been doing their thing. Um, really good, big, powerful churches, okay? And two of one, most of these guys have had an awful experience the last two years. Like, people are fighting like never before. Masks, no masks, this and that. And they can't seem to mediate the positions, right? People left the church and they're never coming back over whatever it was, politics. There are pastors out there who started drinking more, pastors out there who have just quit. And so we sit down in these pastor gatherings and I'm like listening to these guys and inevitably they're like, Jake, how you doing, man? Like, are you, are you struggling, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, and I almost feel embarrassed sometimes to go, I have had the most fun I've ever had in ministry the last two years. And I feel genuinely bad about that. And it's not a source of pride because we've said before and here over and over again, everything we've done that's been good has like been the opposite of what we tried, right? Like this whole thing has been just a humble journey. But it's a new wineskin and there's been room for activity and growth and I've been able to see and experience things like I never have before. That's the invitation, I think, to the community here tonight, right, is there's an opportunity to see things, to change that vessel. So we had a couple ideas, ways of talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, I can keep going. I, no, I got way going. off script here. I think yeah. everyone here is liking it. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs>